The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. We're able to access more information in a moment than our predecessors could in a lifetime. And mostly that's convenient and great. But we all have so much to keep track of. It's just impossible to remember it all. Today, we're going to work on solving that problem with the help of our guest, Tiago Forte. When Tiago was in his 20s, he developed chronic pain. He tried everything to treat it. But the medications, they had a crappy side effect. They caused severe short-term memory loss, like for real. I took a vacation, a two-week vacation to Russia with my friend Allison. And a couple months later, I said, oh, I would really love to visit Russia one day. And she was like, Tiago, we just went to Russia. We just went there. And I was like, I had to look at photos because I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. Thus, Tiago learned something early that many of us have figured out over lots of time. I I think what I took away from that is I can't rely on my brain. Out of necessity, Tiago developed an easy system to keep track of everything, from his vacations to his to-do list to the notes from an important meeting. He eventually got better, but that note-taking system? Well, it kept getting better too, and today he calls it his second brain. It's a secret weapon of sorts. Figure out how to use it and you can be better at most things, and less anxious as well. This is a heavy-duty how-to episode. Tiago is going to teach me, and you too, how to build our own second brains. Here's Tiago. I think a common pitfall with smart people, like the people who listen to this podcast, like the people who listen to podcasts in general, Right. Right. Like the people who read books and take classes and, you know, are lifelong learners and curious about the world. So the pitfall with smart people is we we have a decent brain. And so we start to put more and more on it. We go, okay, brain, now remember this. Now to keep track of that. Now have this responsibility. Now push forward that project, which works for a while. right? Right. This is what makes it so hard to see is it works and then it works and then it works until it doesn't. One day, and, and often I find people interested in a second brain are undergoing some sort of life transition. They just got a promotion. They have a new, you know, bigger job with more responsibilities, or they're starting a business, or they're starting a family, or they're moving to a new city. And it's like that, that saying, what got you here is not going to get you there. The strategies yes. of managing information that got you up to this point are not going to work going forward. And so people, right. you know, seek this kind of, of knowledge in order to upgrade their, their skills. So I love this term that you use to describe your system, which is this idea of a second brain. I've been a tech reporter my entire career until recently when I became a podcast host. And as a tech reporter, I chronicled the rise in information available. And at the beginning of my career in the late 90s, it already felt like I could have everything at my fingertips. And that was before Google even. It was like around the time that Google was born, right? Yeah. And the explosive, exponential growth of the information available to me um, is enough to stress me out. I feel, instead of feeling like it is a personal opportunity, 
I feel like it is a point of great stress. I find myself doing detoxes and looking for ways to get away from the information. And for anybody trying to navigate life in the information age, particularly for what we call knowledge workers, which are really people who have to interact with that information in some way to do their job effectively, um, it it often feels like more of a burden than an opportunity. We're trying to narrow down what we need to know. And you offer a, a flexible tool, rather like a muscle that we can strengthen in order to help us have a relationship with that information instead of pushing it away. Absolutely. I think flexibility is the right word. It's a general purpose thinking system. You know, if you're a scientist tracking the, you know, experimental lab results for a pharmaceutical drug, that drug, that's specialized knowledge, there is some, you know, dedicated software program for that. But for just our projects, our general projects, our general responsibilities, our side gigs, our, you know, new things that we're creating that we don't yet know what it will be. Right? right? For knowledge that is, it's kind of early stage. It's still messy. It's still uncertain. That's what notes are designed for, right? right? It's messy. It's informal. It is just blah. It's like just getting it out of your brain into some external place uh, is really the first step. And that's what notes excel at. I think it's probably true for most people that we don't take notes in an effective way so that we can then use the information. Yes. yes. I want to really dig in here. I want you to teach us how to do this better. Absolutely. So where do we begin? Okay, perfect. So we're going to do digital note-taking. Paper is wonderful. You can take paper notes all you want, but I'm really focused on the unique power of digital notes, which means the first, very first step is you need to choose a digital notes app, right? The average knowledge tech worker, remote worker, uh, manager, engineer, executive uses dozens of different software programs. But usually the one that's missing is a, is a digital notes app. This is an app in the category of uh, Evernote, Notion, newer ones like Obsidian. Uh, there's actually many dozens of different options. I use Keep. I use uh-huh. it not so effectively, but like it, it's on my phone. It has my family's grocery list on it. Yeah. Um, And so my thinking is probably that's the right one for me, because if I get really hung up on finding exactly the right software with the right bells and whistles, I'll spend all of my time working on that problem and not solve the problem that is to be solved. Yes, exactly. This is what I really encourage. Look at what you're already using or what you already have or what you already know how to use. Right. So often this looks like the, the apps that are integrated into what you already use. Like you use Google Keep, part of Google Suite. There's also Microsoft OneNote, which is part of the Microsoft Office package, uh, or Apple Notes, or there's usually like an equivalent, you know, Android note-taking app. Start there. You don't need a crazy, sophisticated database. It's just the first problem you're trying to solve is the capture problem. The very first hurdle is to get it from this fleshy organ up here into some external place that is not subject to forgetfulness. And really, that's mostly a matter of convenience. If it's not utterly convenient, utterly easy. It's just never going to happen. And none of the, the subsequent steps of knowledge management are possible until you have that, that thing written down. Right. And so how do we know what things are the things that we need to write down, Tiago, right? Because things happen all day. I, I don't want to end up in a situation where I have so much information that I am loath to go near it when it's time to sift it. Yeah, I think there's some baggage that we have around note-taking because note-taking habits came from school. Yes. And in school, it's always some external authority telling you what to take notes on, 
right? It's like our, our natural love of learning is really what it is, gets sort of dampened and extinguished for some of us because of like these external rules. So a lot of what I find people have to do, what we have to do is unlearn. Before you learn stuff, you have to unlearn that <laughs> attitude to note-taking and shift right. what you take notes on from what you think someone thinks you should take notes on to what resonates with you. I love that word resonance. Resonance, it's like it echoes in your soul. There's an echo. Right. You see something externally and it reflects something inside of you. That might show up as a, a, a sense of curiosity, surprise. Uh, it might feel enlivening. It might feel exciting. You might feel your your pupils dilate, the the hair stand up on your arm. Like you got to look at bodily sensations yeah. and not treat it as this hyper analytical, you know, set of rules for what to take notes on. So you need to begin by getting curious about what you're actually curious about. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yes. Here's a distinction I would love some help with. Some of the things that I write down are things that you know, a show idea that came to me, a, a person who would be great on, on a show or, you know, working on a book, like something that makes a chapter come together. But then there's also this laundry list of to-dos, right? Like, don't forget to pay the medical bill. Where do those belong? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's information that you have to manage also, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. this is this is something I love about a second brain. It's just like your first, like in your first brain, as a as a metaphor, you have you know buy milk from buy milk at the grocery store, all the way to some you know grand theories you might have about the nature of life and the purpose of civilization and history and all these things, and that's what makes the human experience so beautiful is all these these categories mix and match and we we find cross connections and they cross fertilize each other. Um, and so a, a simple task can ju be just as much a part of your second brain as, you know, whatever piece of content that you're saving. I think what's, what's key is the centralization, right? When I work with people as students in my course or at, in coaching, they often have all the right information. It's already saved in some external place, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of strewn. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's strewn around a dozen different places, no rhyme or reason which is fine until the moment where you have to actually go retrieve a piece of information to use it because now you have a dozen different places to look, no, no criteria to tell you where something might be stored. Um, and also there's, there's a great power in having a lot of interesting ideas in one central place. Yeah. You know, think about like, I used to play with Legos as a kid. How do you want to play with Legos? You want to dump out all the Legos on the floor, see them all in one giant pile, and then kind of just like, sort through them and see what emerges, right? You want to see things in juxtaposition. You want to see them overlapping and colliding and being near each other in order for you to have those, you know, those interesting connections and insights. We're going to take a quick break here. Grab your favorite note-taking app because we'll be right back. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. 
Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. Tiago has a whole method for how he teaches note-taking. It's got a handy acronym, CODE. That stands for Capture, Organize, Distill, Express. If you think of all the stuff you need to keep track of, like a funnel... The top of the funnel is capture. And getting to just what you need, well, that's the whole rest of the process. Our conversation before the break covered capture. So next up, it's organize. Organize is really, is really actually straightforward. Um, and there's many ways of organizing information. I have one that I recommend the most, which has really resonated with people, which is to organize by project. You know, you could try to break down categories and subcategories. You could follow the Dewey Decimal System. You could have a whole multi-level hierarchy. But when I really look at people's personal productivity, what do people actually need to move forward their projects and reach their goals? Really, what they need is just the information, the ideas, facts, observations, meeting notes, research, reference related to each of their active projects in one place just for that project. So when you sit down and you know how the modern world is, you sit down and it's like you're on a timer. Maybe you have 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Maybe if you're really lucky, you have an hour, right? Like our days are broken up into so many tiny little pieces. You have to be able to sit down and within a minute, be focused on that information and turning it into whatever you need to turn it into. You don't have time, as I see so many people do, to spend 10 or 15 minutes rooting around trying to find the stuff that you need. If you do that, half the time you have will be will be gone. <laughs> yeah, you're sifting through. Is this project going to fit in this time? Is this project going to fit in this time? And then the time is gone. Exactly. And you do that again and again, all day long. You can just get started and then get interrupted. Get started, get interrupted. It's a recipe for, for frustration. Tiago, how many projects do you personally have going at any moment? So I have, and I found this is true of most people, once they really sit down to make that list of, of current projects, uh, between 10 and 15. Okay. Between 10 and 15 is, is an interesting number because it's enough to always have something to do, right? There's always right. something. If you get stopped on one, you turn to the other. If right. you're waiting on something on one project, you turn to another. Um, but not so many that you just feel like it's a crushing, overwhelming burden. You know, you, you can actually make consistent progress as long as you define projects in a small way. I ask right. people to really think of projects as small. 10 or 15 seems to be the, kind of a, a reasonable number. So to get really granular here... Uh, you know, you could think about your list of projects as a modern day replacement for a more traditional to-do list mm -hmm. where one project might be get Jude enrolled for school next year. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, you know, mm -hmm. 15 minutes on a website and like maybe writing a check. Mm -hmm. um, and another project might be write chapter seven of that book that you're working on. That's a very different size and scope of project, right? Mm -hmm. But they belong on the same project list. Yeah. 
Exactly. No, that's, that's, I never thought about it that way, but that's actually a great observation. It is kind of a replacement. In the past, the to-do list was a post-it with a few items. Now, it's like we are content managers. Like even right. for the simplest, the, the examples you mentioned, you know, we're trying to enroll our, our son in his first swimming classes. That is a research project because we now have access to all this information. Right. We feel the duty to take it in and to use it, right? To like make sense of it and to make better decisions based on the information. But what that means is now the little to-do list on a post-it has to become a system where we can keep track of all those different notes and references. And I would just say that absent the system, that right there is a short path to burnout. Like mm. as I look around at all of my colleagues who are burnt out, they're not necessarily not in love with their jobs. Mm -hmm. And the burnout isn't always even about mm -hmm. their jobs, mm -hmm. but rather the larger set of things that we all need to take care of in our lives, regardless mm -hmm. of whether we have children to manage or dogs to manage or just ourselves to manage, right? Like nothing is just one phone call anymore. Everything no. is a research project on the internet and a series of decisions that you need to make. And unless you come up with a way to rank order them outside of your brain, they're going to yeah. take over your brain and they're going to yeah. sink you into burnout. I Perfectly said. Burnout doesn't come from the raw hours worked. No. Right? It, it is the state of overwhelm. The, the degree to which your responsibilities, your ongoing commitments exceeds your biological capacity. How could yeah. you not be burned out if you're tr doing, trying to do 3x more than your, you know, your biology can, can handle? Projects are just one bucket our information can go into. There are four. Tiago's mnemonic for this is para. And the P stands for projects. The A stands for areas of responsibility. So think about things like your, I don't know, your health. Okay, that's not a project. You never, you never reach a, a certain conclusion and go, okay, I never have to think about my health again. It's forever. It's ongoing. It's indefinite, right? And that's a different kind of information than you keep for your projects. It is more kind of what I call a slow burn. You might want to keep track of that over a long period of time. It's not like to try to reach a conclusion. Uh, so that's the second category. Then there's the R, which is resources. And resources is everything else. All your curiosities, your interests, the things you're learning, the classes you're taking, which you want to keep, of course, but it's definitely not as important as your projects or your areas, right? Yeah. So accumulate as many resources as you want, but keep them kind of tucked away, not on your desk, but in the filing cabinet off to the side so they don't, uh, they don't stress you out. Yep. And then you can tuck all of that into the archives when you're Exactly. Done. Then there's an even further, you know, <laughs> further place, which is archives, which is anything from the previous three categories, resources, areas, or projects that is inactive, right? right. Which you can accumulate as much as you want of. When a project finishes, send it to the archives. It's still yeah. available, still searchable, still accessible, but it's out of sight, out of mind. Unlike with physical spaces, there's no inherent limit on digital right. organizing. You can keep virtually unlimited amounts of storage as long as you keep it out of sight, out of mind, so it doesn't interrupt your daily flow. So now we've gotten to the place where we have clawed the most important thoughts from our minds and we have put them in this digital office. Um, that's not enough to actually help us. Now we need to figure out when we need to know that stuff and yeah. be able to draw from it almost without thinking about it. Yes. How the heck do we do that? So this is exactly the second half of code, right? So capturing and organizing, you kind of do in the course of your learning, your researching, your note-taking. But then you want to stop. 
like right in the, at the halfway point, you want to pause because you, you really need to be careful that you don't over invest in your notes until you know how they're going to be used. Right. right. Many of the notes you take might never end up being valuable, like not once. So you can't afford to really pour a bunch of time and attention into them. Uh, and so I advise you to wait after O, after organize. But then once you have something in mind you want to create, this is the this is the trigger. This is the key point. You want to create a thing, a document, an essay, a video, a presentation, a slide deck, a, a memo, a fundraising deck, right? Knowledge work, especially these days, is so artifact-driven, right? Mm-hmm. There's always a thing that we're referencing. There's always a document of some kind. Once you're getting ready to create that, don't start from scratch, which is what most people do. Sit at the blank screen, sit at their desk and try to think of some good ideas, right? Which I, yep. I just don't even understand how people do that. Instead, you look at what you've captured and organized and you start distilling it. That's the D, yep. right? Boiling it down, restructuring it, adding headers, adding bullet points, adding takeaways, adding highlights. All this annotation allows you to figure out what is the signal and the noise. What are the relatively few points that actually matter from all this content? So then what? Is that is that like what brings you to the point where you know what you need when you need? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, it's really context specific, right? So I would ask, what is my context? In the past, contexts were places, right? Yeah. You could ask yourself, oh, okay, I'm sitting at my computer. Let me only look at to-dos that have to do with my computer. Oh, now I'm on the phone. Let me only look at to-dos that have to do with the phone. Or I'm out and about running errands. Let me only look at things that I need to be mobile. These days, though, practically everything can be done from anywhere. Yeah, it's really true. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like the constraint of place was what we 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 escaped it, which is great. Now we, you know, so many of us work remotely, but that's also hard because we have no basis on which to decide. Okay, these are the this is where I should concentrate. So it feels like we should be doing all the things all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, completely, completely. So I'm reintroducing this idea of contexts, except instead of based on physical locations, I'm saying the most important context is your state of mind. Mm-hmm. So which project is top of mind? Like you, you can just ask yourself, not referencing any external document. I can just ask you, you know, Jesse, Jess, what is your what is your top of mind? What is your number one most worrisome project? Turning this uh, interview into the amazing episode I know it can be. It's there you go. Take, like my muscle, I'm going to need to make a leap of thought and energy. Exactly right. So so you can step into that context and say, I'm for this next whatever ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes. I'm only going to look yep. at information related to this one project. Then I'll come up for air. But I'm, it's like time boxing, giving yourself that period of time. Completely. Um, and the same was true of areas, right? Like I can ask yourself, what aspect of your life do you want to work on? Your health, your finances, your home, your relationship, your kids, right? There's a, there's a finite number of hats that you wear and you can decide today, this afternoon, for the next hour, I'm going to focus on the kids. I'm going to focus on the house. I'm going to focus on, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the area is. Another thing that I want to address is that I think that sometimes we listeners, me, myself, the host, we tend to take a very black and white approach to these systems. Mm -hmm. I tried it. It really, really worked for six days and then I fell off the wagon. So forget that. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that as I was reading your book, one thing that I tried to keep in mind for myself was um, if this system works for me 60% of the time, then that is that is 60% of my time that is going better than it would have gone rather than thinking, hey, how can I like re refigure my life for this system to work for me? Yeah. And I'm curious if you if you yourself, Tiago, find that this system works for you 100% of the time. No, but it's not really designed to. It's not really designed to. And I think this is a really important realization for people is every time you use words like system, platform, methodology, people start to get in that very perfectionistic state of mind. Um, but the system we're creating, as we've we've talked about, is informal. It's not like your car engine, where if there's one misaligned part, it's going to explode and you know fall into pieces and endanger your life. That's not yep. the kind of system we're creating. It's an informal. It's an organic system. It fits in the little crevices of your life. You know, just like note taking. You know, on your best days, you don't need a second brain. Those days that you're motivated, you're energetic, you slept great you've eaten healthy food, everything is, is fantastic. Any system or structure is just a hindrance. You want to throw off all those systems and just sprint, just go for it, right? Yeah. Those aren't the days that your second brain is designed for. It's designed for your worst days. It's really like a support system. That moment where you, yeah. you have to remember something and you can't. You have yeah. to come up with a good idea and you can't. You have right. to deliver a piece of work and your biology is just like, no, I'm done. That's the moment your second brain steps in and you go to this external, this external place. And there's our second brain. Now, before we ended our conversation, I asked Tiago what he's learned that people do with all that extra time. And it sounds great. Part of what you're doing with the second brain is you're creating bandwidth, yep. right? Our bandwidth tends to be full all the time. Like, I don't know about you or your listeners. I don't think you have, you know, 20 to 30% of your bandwidth just sitting around unused. So Never. that's why you have to start with capture. Before you can do anything else, really not even related to second brains, but in life, you have to make some space, right? right? And so capture is like offloading, offloading some of that, just memorizing, keeping track of things onto a, a piece of software. But what's interesting is how, what you use that freed up bandwidth for, right? And it's very interesting because I find what I tend to use it for and what people who build a second brain tend to use it for is self-care, is habits and routines that they know are good for them but never seem to find the time for. Yes. Um, they use it for personal growth. They use it to you know, journal and reflect and meditate, right? What would you do with 20 or 30% of your bandwidth back, right? I mean, you could spend it going and reading other books and consuming even more information, but you, you, can, you can look at your note-taking system and see, wow, I have all this knowledge already. I don't really need to go find all this other stuff. Um, and so I think there's, there's this very interesting connection between this very like pretty analytical process of creating a system called a second brain, which then frees you up for the more human aspects, right? right. The, the human care and thinking and feeling that only you can do. That's the part that no software system can do for you. That was Tiago Forte. His new book, Building a Second Brain, is out now. This week on Office Hours, we're going to talk about our second brains. What's your favorite note-taking app? How do you categorize your thoughts? What do you think of Tiago's system? I've been using it for more than a month now, and I have lots of thoughts. 
So join me and our producer, Sarah Storm, this Wednesday afternoon for Office Hours. We'll talk it all through. You can find us live at 3 p.m. Eastern on the LinkedIn news page or email us for a link at hellomonday at linkedin.com. And if you like the show, please remember to rate and review us on whatever listening app you love. It really helps listeners find the show. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. Sarah Storm is our producer. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florenzi Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor help us keep track of everything. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday, and thanks for listening. How old's your baby? Uh, 18 months. Congratulations. Yeah. And then we have a second one on the way in November. Um, amazing. May that second child not take you under the way that ours took us under. <laughs> Our first one was so calm and easy that we're now terrified. <laughs> Better to just say nothing and let you have your own experience. It will be fine. It will be amazing. And congratulations. I hope it all goes well. Thank you. Thank you so much.